0: We are in chapter 30 of the Confession and we are continuing our study of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. So these uh, sections dealing with the ordinances that are delivered over to the church by Christ, that being baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so we've been dealing with uh, aspects of the Lord's Supper. And last time we talked about the elements being uh, the bread and the wine and how those things are to be used uh, while we take the Lord's Supper. And then we're going to pick up today in chapter 30, paragraph 4. And 4, 5, and 6 are dealing with a uh, various corruptions that were prevalent during their time. Still are today, though they're not as much in our face because we're so far removed from Roman Catholicism. But we have to remember when this was written, it was just on the heels of the church is breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church. And so a lot of these things were on their mind. Uh, They were interacting with people. It was still very much a part of their consciousness. And so this is why they are dealing with these issues related to many false teachings and perversions That were in the roman catholic church so it's not that they just like to pick on roman catholics though there's nothing wrong with that Uh, it's that the roman catholics were on their mind because they were just coming out of this uh, just coming out of it within the you know uh you know the years before and so it was necessary for them to uh make make sure that they understood the proper teaching concerning these issues as it related to the false teachings of the day, right? So that's what they're doing. They're teaching what accords with truth and they're also refuting those who contradict it. That's what they're doing in the confession, teaching this is the true way and then refuting what was false and wrong that was being taught in their own day and this is the way that we have to teach as well, right? We have to do this. I say that because we often get criticized for refuting those who contradict it. Right, We should just talk about what we believe and not talk about what other people believe, but you cannot be a good teacher, a true teacher of the Bible, without showing what the Bible teaches, both in relation to the truth and in relation to lies and errors. And if there are errors and lies that are known and being spread throughout our own day, how can we not talk about those things? We have to address these things, even if it leads to criticisms from people. So let's pray, and then we'll begin our study today. Father, we come to you today, Lord, asking, uh, just as we read this morning from Psalm 119, Lord, for you to teach us. Lord, teach us your statutes today. Lord, give us the proper understanding of your word, and Lord, we pray that we would have the proper understanding of both baptism and the Lord's Supper. Lord, that we might practice these things in a way that is consistent with your will, Lord, not turning to the right or to the left, but walking in the straight paths of the Lord. So Lord, teach us this today and show us, Lord, how we are to understand Lord, the Lord's Supper in the right way, Lord, that we would not fall into idolatry or to evil practices, as has happened, Lord, in many times and in many ways and still happens in our own day as well. So Lord, guard us from this and Lord, help us to Believe the truth, and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, chapter 30, verse, or, uh, paragraph 4. It says, Denying the cup to people, worshiping the elements, lifting them up and carrying them around for adoration, or reserving them for some pretended religious use, are all contrary to the nature of this ordinance and to the institution of Christ. Here, they're talking about various superstitions that existed within the Roman Catholic Church, right? Denying the cup to people. Now, not denying it to profane people or denying it to those who are unrepentant, right? Of course, there is a a guarding of the ordinance, but denying it for uh, unlawful reasons, denying it as a way of manipulating people and getting them to do what you want them to do, holding it over them as a way of milking them and getting money from them. We shouldn't do those types of things. Worshipping the elements, right? We should not worship the elements of wine or bread. Bow down to them, pay homage to them, lift them up, carry them around uh, the, the church, you know, in the way that they do in the Roman Catholic Church. If you've ever seen a service, they lift them up and they walk around and they parade it around as if there's some, uh, they make it into an idolatrous uh, show during this uh, thing that should be a simple uh ordinance to build up the faith of the people they make it into this elaborate superstitious idolatrous show in order to grip the people in such a way that they can usually get more money out of them so carrying these things around for adoration or reserving them for some pretended religious use a pretended religious use not the true religious use but some pretended religious use right all of these are contrary to the nature of the ordinance and to the institution of christ The nature of the ordinance is to build faith in people, to be a reminder and a proclamation of the Lord's death until he comes. It's for the help of our faith and the institutions of Christ are to be observed in a simple way, a simple biblical way and not for us to add show to these things to add all this type of stuff in order to make it seem more holy more reverent more uh, exalted in the eyes of men we shouldn't do that type of stuff as you see again commonly in the roman catholic church the way they dress the priest You know, they have on their garb, they carry around their golden censers, they walk and they parade up and down with their hats on and all these types of things as a way of trying to get the people to be bedazzled by the show, by everything that they see, even the way the cathedrals are built the gold, and all of the things that they fashion it with, so that people walk in and they think, oh, look at how holy this is. Look at how religious this is. Oh, this must be a very godly place, a place where God is found, because look at all of the stuff that we see with our eyes. But is that where God is found? In all of this pump, right? In all of the money, and the gold, and the things that dazzle the eyes of men? No. It's found in the word of Christ, the simple preaching and teaching of the word of God. That's what we're talking about in Psalm 119. His desire is to know God through his word, not to know God through superstition, through the wisdom of man, through the flattery of man, through all of the ideas and inventions that men come up with by which they think they're going to show forth the glory of God. No, we should not desire and seek those things, but to know God simply, the way he is revealed in the word of God, and then to observe these ordinances in the simple way that God instituted it, right? When Christ instituted this ordinance with his disciples, it was not filled with a lot of pomp, It wasn't filled with all of the types of things that they do it with as a way of getting and duping the people. So we should reject anything like that. It detracts from the nature of the ordinance as it was instituted by Christ. And we shouldn't do these things. Matthew chapter 26. So I'm not going to start wearing special holy clothes to church walking around up and down the aisles, parading around, carrying the cup over my head, you know, having people bow down before me, before the cup, praying to it. No, this is all superstition, and it should be rejected. Matthew 26, 26. But this is the kind of stuff people love. People eat it up, right? They love this type of show, but it does not benefit the hearers at all. It doesn't help them in one way, shape, or form. 26, 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So here, there's not all of this show. He's not carrying it around, parading it about. He simply takes it, he blesses it, he explains it to them, and then he gives it to them and they partake of it. It's a very simple ritual, not filled with a lot of pomp and a lot of elaborate uh, things that are coming out of it. Also, Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. 15, actually verse 7. This is Jesus commenting when he's applying scripture to the false teachings that were being promoted by the scribes and Pharisees during his day concerning all the rituals and the various uh, commandments that they had established out of their own mind and out of their own wisdom for the people to follow. And notice Jesus says, Matthew 15:7, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, right? Who told them to walk around with a cup over their head? Who told them to wear their special garb, right? Who told them to parade around in this way with all of this uh, pomp and with all of the fancifulness that they do? Where did they get it from? Well, it's not found in the Bible. So if it doesn't come from the Bible, it's coming from their own mind, And that's what they're doing. They're teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, their own inventions, as if this is the proper way to do it. This is the proper way to observe the Lord's Supper, the way that we do it. That's what they say. But the way they do it is not founded on Scripture, but rather it's their own mind that is teaching them this and not the mind that is controlled by Christ or by the Spirit, but one rather that is controlled by the flesh and under the power of the devil, right? The devil teaches them to make a show of these things, not Christ, and that's where it's coming from. Also, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 verse 4 says, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So we are forbidden from making idols, making idols of anything in heaven or earth or beneath the water under the sea or under the earth. We shouldn't do that, even whenever the idol supposedly represents God. Even when we say, well, no, we believe in God, but we just have these images to assist us in the worship of God. This is what they will say. Or even if there is something that is legitimate, a true symbol that has been established by Christ, but you are leaving the commandment and adding human inventions onto that, you are committing idolatry. That is idolatry. Worshiping God in ways not prescribed in the Bible is idolatrous and we must reject all idolatry even if people say, well, we're doing it to help men. We're doing it to assist them. We're doing it to have more reverence for God. But again, at the root of all of this, is that we don't believe the word of God is sufficient. We do not believe that God himself knows how to establish proper worship, that we need to add to it. We need to add human inventions, human creativity, human ingenuity onto the commandment of God to make it better. But that is the height of arrogance and folly to think that we can make an an improvement on something that God has already established. God's word is perfect, his ways are perfect, there is no improvement to be made, so whatever improvement man is making is not an improvement at all, but actually it's a detraction, and it's a detraction into idolatry, and even something good, something instituted by God can be corrupted and polluted so that it is no longer true worship of God, but rather it becomes idolatrous and a stumbling block. That's what's happening in the Roman Catholic Church when they take communion. They call it communion, but it's not really communion, right? It's communion with Satan. It's not communion with God. They are communing with the devil, with demons, with idolatry. This is what it is because they have polluted the institution with their own vain thoughts and therefore it must be rejected. So we should not go to the Roman Catholic Church and we should not take communion with them, right? We shouldn't do that, no way. We, can't, we cannot do that because that itself would be to participate in idolatry. It'd be the same as going to a mosque and going to the prayer service with them. We can't do that or going to the Mormon church and doing whatever they do over there, right? We cannot do those kinds of things. Okay, let me give you one more example of something that is, was good initially, but people corrupted it so that it became idolatrous. Second Kings 18, 2 Kings 18, and in this case, Hezekiah, the king, is commended for what he does. This is a, a section of scripture that is describing for us the righteousness of Hezekiah and then giving examples of that righteousness. So it's not describing his sin, but it's describing his righteousness. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1 says, now it came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah, he also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushatan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah and among all those who were before him. He clung, For he clung to the Lord, and he did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. So here for our intention is verse four, verse four, the bronze serpent, the bronze serpent that Moses made. When Moses made the bronze serpent, was it sinful? No, it was not sinful. It was because of the sin of the people, but Moses making the bronze serpent was the command of God. God is the one who told him to make it. And then it had a proper use a proper use during that time when the fiery serpents had broke out among them that those who were bitten, if they looked to the bronze serpent, then they would be healed and they would not die. So God is the one that commanded Moses to make the bronze serpent. Moses made it and then it had a proper use at that time. But notice what they're doing here. Are they supposed to burn incense to the bronze serpent? Of course not. not. And this is hundreds of years later. Right, Moses is about 1400 AD, and this would be uh, around maybe eight or 700 AD. So we're talking hundreds of years later, this item that is a part of their history, a part of their religious history even, the bronze serpent made by Moses. Yet what does Hezekiah do to it? He chops it to pieces because the people are committing idolatry with the bronze serpent contrary to Moses, contrary to God, this is what they're doing. And so Hezekiah puts a stop to it and he's not sinning when he does it. He's doing something that's good and right. So here is an example of someone taking something good that was given by God, that had an intended purpose, and then they are corrupting it and polluting it and using that good thing to commit sin against God. And so Hezekiah has to put a stop to it. That's the same thing going on in the Roman Catholic Church in regards to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was instituted by Christ. It is good if one uses it lawfully, if one uses it the right way, but whenever people corrupt and pollute it like they did with the bronze serpent, then it becomes idolatry and it must be rejected, right? So that's what they're talking about here. We, we have to reject whatever is idolatrous in relation to the Lord's Supper and not incorporate those practices into our practice, okay? Chapter 30, paragraph five. The outward elements in this ordinance properly set apart for the use ordained by Christ have such a relationship to Christ crucified that they are sometimes called truly, though figuratively, by the names of the things they represent. That is the body and blood of Christ. However, in substance and nature, they still remain truly and only bread and wine as they were before. Here, When the Bible is describing the Lord's Supper, sometimes it will say the bread and the cup. Other times it'll say the body and the blood. When it calls the bread the body and when it calls the cup or the wine the blood, it does not mean so literally. It doesn't mean that the actual elements that are before us have somehow magically been transformed into the actual blood of Christ and the bread into the actual body of Christ so that what I put into my mouth is actually the very body of Jesus Christ and what I drink out of the cup is actually the very blood of Jesus Christ. Now we might say, well, this is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. However, this is what the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church teaches is that when the priest Praise over the elements of wine and bread that those elements actually become the blood and the body of Christ in a mystical, spiritual way, right? In a way where, yes, outwardly, they still appear to be wine and bread, but underneath them, they are actually the body and the blood of Christ. And this is because they say, Jesus says, this is my body jesus says this is my blood and they say see it says it right there it says this is my body this is my blood but when jesus says that he doesn't mean this is literally my body and this is literally my blood he means it in what way figuratively in terms of what it represents this bread represents it is a picture or symbol to you of my body which is given for your sin, and this cup, this wine, represents for you my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. So even though it says this is my body and this is my blood, the obvious interpretation is that he means it in the sense of representation. These represent, figuratively speaking, they are the body and the blood of Christ, though literally they remain Bread and wine. They don't uh, convert and they're not changed in some mystical way into something else so that they become the actual body and blood of Christ. But this is what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, right? This is what they teach, literally. I'm not not making it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It is contrary to the clear, simple plain reading of the text. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven Says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Right there, they would say, look, see, it says you're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But in verse 27, he says, he doesn't say whoever eats the body of the Lord and whoever drinks the blood of the Lord, right? If those things are literally transformed into that, then why is he still calling it the bread and the cup, right? He's doing that because they are literally bread and cup, but they represent the body and the blood of the Lord. And when you take them in an unworthy manner, then you are guilty of, polluting and profaning the body and the blood of Christ because you are taking of something in this way, right, in an improper and an unholy way. Also, another passage for us to consider concerning this would be Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7 is an example of a title being applied to a person, And it obviously means it in sense of a figure or a representation. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. There, Moses, God tells Moses, I make you as God to Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Does that literally mean that Moses became God, God in human flesh? No, how does he mean it? In the sense of Moses is representing God to Pharaoh, right? In that sense, he has become a God to Pharaoh because what Moses says to Pharaoh represents the very mind of God because Moses isn't speaking his own ideas to Pharaoh, but he's speaking the word of God to him. And in that way, he became as God to Pharaoh. Not that Moses literally became God or that he was transformed into a deity and was a God in that way to Pharaoh. Moses remained a man. He was simply a man. He always was a man, but he represented God to Pharaoh. And in that way, he was as God to Pharaoh. And in the same way, the bread and the cup are as the body of Christ and as the blood of Christ to us in that they represent those things among us. They are figures of that. And that's the way that we should understand it. Okay, then number six, paragraph six. Here's the doctrine. The doctrine, commonly called transubstantiation, teaches that the substance of bread and wine is changed into the substance of Christ's body and blood by the consecration of a priest or some other way. This doctrine is hostile not only to scripture, but also to common sense and reason. It it destroys the nature of the ordinance and has been and is the cause of many kinds of superstitions and gross idolatries. So there, the doctrine, as it is described by the Roman Catholic Church, the official doctrine of the church is called transubstantiation. And transubstantiation teaches that the substance of bread and wine is changed into the substance of Christ's body and blood by the consecration of the priest. So it is before just bread and wine, but when the priest consecrates it, it is transformed by a miracle into the body and into the blood of Christ. So that whenever the participant partakes of the Lord's Supper in the Roman Catholic Church, according to their theology, he is actually eating the body of Christ, the literal body of Christ, and actually drinking the literal blood of Christ. Right? This is what they believe is taking place. And this is why the Roman Catholics have such a perverted view of the Lord's Supper. That it is the centerpiece, the Eucharist is the centerpiece of all of their theology. Because whenever, uh, if you go into their churches, front and center in the church is going to be the Lord's table where the Lord's Supper is going to be served. And this is why in all of their meetings, they always participate in the Lord's Supper because when the participant, when the worshiper comes and participates in the Lord's Supper, He is literally eating the body of Christ and literally drinking the blood of Christ. And the more body of Christ you get into you and the more blood of Christ that you get into, the more grace that you're going to have from God. Whether you understand anything of what is going on, which has been the case for many times and still in some churches today, but during the time of the Reformation, even in the parts of Europe, the parts of the world where the people, the common people, did not know the Latin language. Latin was the official language of the Roman Catholic Church. And the services, the mass would be performed in Latin, even though none of the people spoke or understood Latin. But this is what everything was done in. It would be like me getting up, not that I could do this, but it would be like me getting up and doing the whole service in a language that none of you knew. How is that beneficial to anyone? But they would say it doesn't matter if the people know and understand what's going on because all that matters is if they eat the body of Christ and if they drink the blood of Christ. And if they take communion, they're going to receive the grace of God because they're literally ingesting into their body the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is where the grace of God is found. And this is what they were doing for many, many years. The whole service would be, and even in some traditional churches, today Roman Catholic churches, they still will conduct their services uh, in Latin, In Latin, even though the people, it's not even a, a known spoken language anymore in terms of it being used uh, modernly in countries, but this is what they're doing in those traditional churches, and this is what was going on during the time of the Reformation. Again, it doesn't matter whether or not people know or understand anything of what is going on. All that matters is simply taking it you will receive the grace of God. And if you take it, you'll go to heaven. That's what they believe and that's what they're teaching. So eventually you'll get to heaven as long as you are participating and regularly taking the Roman Catholic Mass. Whether you understand it or not, none of that matters. All that matters is if you are eating the body of Christ and you're drinking his blood, then you're going to make it to heaven. Now, what this does is it gives the church extreme power over the people. Because literally... If they bar you from the Lord's Supper, where are you going to go? You're going to hell. So you better stay in their good graces. And if you don't, give them some money, then they might kick you out. And then you're not going to go to heaven. So it gives the church great power and influence over the people. And that's the way it was being used for many years to milk the people out of money, right? To get them and to hold them in this type of fear to stay in the good graces of the church and that you did that by giving them money and doing those types of things. So it's no good. It's no good at all. Also, this is just a a side point. The reformers, they used to make fun of the Catholics because in, in many of the Catholic churches, the priests during the time of the Reformation, they didn't know Latin either. They just knew enough to be able to perform the service but many of the priests were themselves uneducated. They were ignoramuses, but they were just put in those positions because uh, rich people would buy these various bishops. uh, They would buy an area of land from the Roman Catholic Church. They would give money to the church and then the church would make them the bishops over these various areas, these territories of land, and then they would get income from those areas. Well, you can't be the bishop in four or five different towns. You can only be at one place at one time because they're not God. <clears throat> so what they would do is they would then train some ignoramus and they would send them to the various towns and then they would be the ones that would perform the service, and many of them did not know Latin because they had not been properly educated, and then when they would get up and do the service, they would not be saying the words correctly, they would be fumbling around this and that, and so the reformers would make fun of, make fun of them because they, the, the, even the priests weren't doing it right. But again, none of it matters because as long as you're taking the Lord's Supper, you're getting the body of Christ in you, you're getting the blood of Christ in you, and you're going to make it to heaven someday. So they are saying, in no way, shape, or form do we believe this. When we take the Lord's Supper, it is bread and it is wine. And they do not turn into the body and blood of Christ whenever the minister prays over them. They remain in the substance, bread and wine. But in terms of representation, in terms of a symbol, they represent the body and the blood of Christ but we have to understand what they represent by the word of God and by faith in what the word of God teaches. And this is why the most important part of the Lord's Supper is understanding the word of God, understanding by faith what the body and what the blood represents and how it is that we must behold these things by faith in the word of Christ. So there must be the teaching of the Bible that accompanies the ordinance in order for us to understand it properly and in order for us to practice it properly. And without faith in what these things represent, all you're doing is eating a bit of bread and drinking a little bit of wine. And it's not going to do anything for your soul or for your salvation. Actually, it's going to bring condemnation on you unless they are received by faith, right? We have to have faith and faith always comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So the most important part in the Lord's Supper is the teaching, the teaching, the reading of scripture that shows us and teaches us what these things mean and how we ought to have faith and believe these things. They also say here this doctrine of transubstantiation is hostile not only to scripture, right? It is contrary to the word of God, but also to common sense, right? Isn't this nonsensical? Isn't it insane to believe this? right? Common sense, reason, it destroys all of these things. So we should not hold to it. Even common sense should tell us that this is not the body and blood of Christ. It's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. This is also why, if you've ever been to a Roman Catholic Church, they will, the priests at the end will drink all the wine because it's the blood of Christ and you can't let one bit of it spill. You know, also the bread all has to be eaten because it's the body of Christ and you can't throw it away, or you can't do anything else with it. All of it has to be consumed because once it's consecrated, it becomes the body and blood of Christ, right? The body and blood of Christ. And we don't want to waste those things is what they would say. So it's contrary to scripture, common sense, reason. It destroys the nature of the ordinance and has been and is the cause of many kinds of superstitions and gross idolatries. It is idolatrous because it makes it into something God never intended for it to be. And it gives to it a weight and an ability that the Bible says it doesn't have the ability to convey. As if you can simply be saved by eating the bread and drinking the cup. It's putting your faith in the bread and the cup instead of putting your faith in what the bread and cup represents, which is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it actually detracts from Christ and instead places the focus on the ordinance which is supposed to represent Christ. This is the same as Mark chapter 7. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. You reject the commandment in order to st- establish your tradition, right? They establish the tradition because they say they love the commandment, but actually their tradition takes away from their commandment. And this is what they're doing as well. They say that they're doing this because they love Christ, but in doing it, they're actually turning people away from Christ, from trusting in Christ and telling them to trust in rituals, rituals that cannot save the hearers. Acts chapter 3 Acts chapter 3 verse 17 Acts 3:17 says And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you. Whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from ancient times. There, it says concerning Jesus Christ, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from ancient times. Where currently is the body and blood of Christ, the literal physical body and blood of Christ? Because Jesus, when he was resurrected, was resurrected with a human body, with a glorified human body. And where is that glorified human body, which has blood in it, where is it currently residing? In heaven, right? Isn't that what he says? Heaven must receive until the period of the restoration of all things, which is the return of Christ. So how can Jesus be in heaven at the right hand of God but also in the mouth of the people. How can his blood be in his body in heaven and also in the mouth of the people and in their stomach? You see, what it, that makes no sense at all, but that's what they're teaching. How does this happen? How does it become the body and the blood of Christ? When the Bible tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of God, but they're saying, no, he's at the right hand, but he's also here in our cup and he's also here in our bread that is there on the table and that you're going to eat. Then you're going to digest it. Anyway, there's all sorts of implications that go into that, right? Of what they're saying about the body and blood of Christ. See how profane this is and what it does to Christ? Yeah, it's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible thing. 24, Luke 24, verse six. He is not here. But he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. And then 24, verse 39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He is not here. His body is not here. Right? That's what they're talking about. And he has that human body still. That's what he's saying. This is after his resurrection. Touch me and see right? It's my hands, my feet. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. Well, his flesh, his bones are in heaven at the right hand of God. So how can they be here at the table of the Lord? In what way? In the sense of representation, but not literally, as the Roman Catholics falsely teach. Then also 1 Corinthians 11, which we read before, we'll read it one more time. 24 and 25. 24 says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Right there, it's in remembrance of me right? It's a remembrance of what Christ has done on the cross once for all, that he died for sins once for all, and he doesn't need to die again. But what they're teaching in the mass, the Roman Catholic mass, is that Jesus, there's the need for him to perpetually suffer over and over and over and over again for the sins of the people. But that's not what the Bible teaches. He died once for all, And what we're doing in the Lord's Supper is a remembrance of his death once for all for the forgiveness of sins. So it goes along with that corruption as well that they are teaching. So in this way then, the bread and the wine represent. They represent, they are figures that are symbols, illustrations, pictures of the body and the blood of Christ. But in no way, shape or form do they actually transform mysteriously, magically, however it is, into the literal body and blood of Christ so that we are ingesting his actual body and blood when we are partaking of these things. No way, this is idolatrous, it is evil, it is from the devil, and we should have nothing to do with it, and it leads to many, many false practices. It leads to a false confidence in the people because, I mean, if I've got the body and blood of Christ in me, i got nothing to worry about, right? And I can go and live in sin, which is what you often see in many Roman Catholic people. They live in sin and then they just go and they'll take mass and they'll go to confession. And, uh, and then the priest absolves and wipes all their sins away. And then what do they do? They go sin some more. And they just do that over and over and over and over again throughout the course of their life. They die, they go to purgatory. And a, you know, a couple of 10,000 years later, they get into heaven. And it all works out great in the end. We're all gonna make it. But this is not good and we should not follow it. We should reject it, have nothing to do with it. And if you have friends or family that are Roman Catholic, then talk to them about these things and tell them that this is no good and you need to get out of that church and go to a church that teaches the Bible. Like Christ Reformed Church of Shawnee, you could tell them to come here with us. We'll teach them the Bible and who want to worship and follow God in the proper way. So, this is what we should do, and we should reject anything that is contrary to the sound words of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's pray, and then we will be dismissed. Well, Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, how your word does teach us, Lord, how it is that we should worship you in the proper way. Lord, not with superstition, Lord, not according to human inventions or ingenuity. But Lord, according to your simple word, Lord, you are the only one who can establish true worship. Lord, if men are going to worship you in a way that brings glory and honor to you, Lord, it must be by your own rule, Lord, by what you reveal, and Lord, not according to our own whims or our own mind or imagination. Lord, when we bring human invention, Lord, into your worship, lord we corrupt it we pollute it lord it no longer is pure in your sight but rather it is vile and sinful lord it becomes evil and detestable in your sight and so father we don't want to participate in these things but lord we want to worship you in the proper way lord with humility lord simply humbly coming before you lord opening your word And then, Lord, practicing whatever you call us to practice according to your own revelation. So, Father, I pray that you would teach us these things and that we would be careful, Lord, to guard our steps, Lord, to guard our minds, Lord, to guard the practices of our church. Lord, so that we do not go into idolatry or superstition, but rather that we worship you according to the book in a way that is pleasing in your sight. Lord, may we have a correct and proper understanding of the Lord's Supper, Lord, and of baptism, so that we practice these things correctly, and Lord, not according to our own imagination. And Lord, keep us from error, and Lord, help us to have the boldness to speak up, Lord, and to speak out concerning that which is false and evil. And Lord, if we have any friends or family that are in the Roman Catholic Church, Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage and the love, Lord, to talk to them, and Lord, to help them come to the right understanding. So, Lord, give us this mind, and Lord, may we be faithful to you in all things, and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.